Okay, 2 Corinthians, I've entitled this Ambassadors for Christ. And we're making our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book and verse by verse. And um, this morning we'll look at three different aspects of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What happens when a person is born again, number one. Number two, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I'm going to use this, we are going to talk about our responsibilities, but I'm going to use it as a a way to do a little sidetrack and talk about certain ambassadors that are being called out and why they're being called out of Ukraine and Russia right now. And then the third one is uh, Jesus on the cross. We'll be looking at those three things this morning. Now, As we look at verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you would turn to me to Romans chapter um, 6, I would like to look at six verses, maybe, maybe all nine of them, the Romans had this attitude that God forgives sins. So, if God is in a sin-forgiving business, let's sin. That's really the, the background to chapter 6, and that's why Paul puts it this way. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, we're in Corinthians, and this was exactly the attitude that was in the church of Corinth. There were people in the church that were sleeping around, and everybody knew about it, and nobody was doing nothing about it. They were continuing in sin because it's the little bit that they knew that God forgave sins. Uh, So that God's grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Whenever we have a baptism, I go out of my way to explain that you're simply doing and expressing something outwardly that has happened to you inwardly. So that when you go down into the waters, you're dying, sort of a burial, and you're coming out this new creation. You go down, you die, you come out, you knew, and that's what's being said here. Therefore, verse 4, we are buried with him through baptism into death. But just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Let's go down to verse 9. For he who has died has been freed from sin, and that's why Paul says that you must die daily. Not one person here woke up in the spirit. You had to make a conscious decision. I'm going to die to myself today, and I'm going to live for the Lord. And we have to do that on a daily basis. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Let's go back to, um, uh, let's go from here and give an example of this newness of life in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, and in John's John's gospel, one of the things that's unique about John is he always reveals something about a person that only that person knows about. Did everybody follow me on that one? Let me give you an example. We were talking on Wednesday or the Sunday before about the woman at the well. And... um, um, you know, it starts out, what are you doing talking with me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we don't like each other, so what's this all about? 
And that's how the conversation started. Well, the Lord simply disarmed her a little bit at a time uh, because he asked for water. And um, he said, well, if you knew the water that I had, you'd be asking me for water, living water. Hmm, how are you going to get it? You don't have a bucket? You don't have a well? But I tell you what, if you go get your husband, I'll give you some. Well, I don't have a husband. Um, And the Lord says, you know, you're telling the truth. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now you're not married to, so I guess you're telling me the truth. You don't have a husband. And she goes from Jew to Sir, and he's breaking her down a little bit at a time. And because nobody knew this, he's telling this woman something that nobody knew. Well, maybe they knew about two of them, but not five. Nobody knew that, but Jesus knew that. And um, she goes on to say, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Do you see what's happening here? Derogatory statement, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. To sir, to prophet, and then what he was doing, there's a Proverbs that says, wisdom is like a deep well that draws out counsel. What does that mean? That means deep inside every person, there's questions that they have. They're suppressing them. But a wise man, Jesus was being very wise in drawing this out. And all of a sudden, it all comes out. And she says, you know, there's a rumor around that the Messiah is here. And when he comes, he'll tell everybody everything. And Jesus looks at her and says, the one who is speaking to you is him. I'm the Messiah. So... He drew that all out of her. Well, what's your point, Dwight? He's going to do the same with Nicodemus. And as you study the Gospel of John, every person he encounters, he tells that person something that only that person knows. Let me just give you one more example because we'll be talking about John the Baptist in just a little bit. Here's John the Baptist, the forerunner. He had one job, right? Point out the Son of God. So now he's in prison and he's doubting for some reason that's encouraging to me (laughs) and um, he sends two of his disciples and he said would you go talk to Jesus and ask him if he's really the Messiah and he sends the disciples back and he says go tell John go tell him that um, the blind see the lame walk and the poor have the gospel preached to him and then oh by the way tell him this too tell him blessed is he who is not offended in me offended why would John be offended nobody he Jesus called him the greatest man who ever lived but now he's offended at Jesus why would John the Baptist be offended nobody knew that but Jesus did he was offended because the word had gotten out that Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors, people of questionable character, and they even called him a wine bibbler. Now John took the vow of a Nazarite, and that was a no-no, and he was offended. And um, so go tell John, blessed is he who's not offended. Again, my point is, and that's the case here, I'm using this with Nicodemus, because Nicodemus, we read here, There was a man, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, that came to Jesus by night. Why by night? He didn't want anybody to see him. And he said to him, Rabbi, now we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus cuts him off. He knows exactly why he's there. He's impressed that all the miracles that are being done, only God can do them. And it's already being heralded by many that he is indeed the Messiah. So here is um, an example, some facts about Nicodemus. Um, Tradition tells us he was one of the three richest men in Israel. 
Uh, he was a Pharisee. He was also a teacher because Jesus say, is going to tell him, aren't you a teacher? And you don't know these things? So he says he was a religious, a Pharisee. He was rich, one of the three in richest. He was a ruler on the Sanhedrin. He was respected but not happy. In other words, he was empty inside. And he had all the money, all the respect for being a great teacher, um, a member of the Sanhedrin, but empty inside. And he looked at Jesus and the multitudes following the Lord. And basically what he's saying is whatever you got, I want. So the Lord knows this, what's really in Nicodemus' heart, so he cuts him off. And he simply said to him, he's cutting to the chase, so to speak, in verse 3, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Why must a person be born again? Because you must be born again. Uh, You can be religious. You can um, go to church every Sunday, put 20 bucks to the plate, uh, call yourself a Christian. There's people that I cannot quote from the pulpit that openly profess the gospel. They'll even explain what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to die for your sins, and if you believe on him, you can have eternal life. And the reason I can't quote them from the pulpit is because of their vulgarity of speech. And I happen to know the moment that a person is born again, that's the first thing that goes. At least it was for me. And I was, I grew up in a Protestant church, believed all those things. And, um, but when I met Jesus, I was, I was pretty good at profanity <laughs> in my ages growing up. But when I met the Lord, and I would I'd start to swear. I'd say, <laughs> and that's all the farther it could go. You can't take the name of the Lord in vain if you love him with all your heart, soul, and might. It's the first thing that goes. So there, I have resources that I have a lot of respect for, but I won't tell you who they are because I don't want to give them any credit as being a born-again Christian. Here's an example of a religious man, okay? But he was empty. And so Jesus tells him exactly what he has to do. You must be born of the Spirit. You see, there's two baptisms. You can be baptized in water, but still not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible clearly teaches that, and that's a whole other Bible study within itself. So, there are three musts in the Gospel of John, M-U-S-T, Here's the first one in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And that's what happens. Uh, And we'll come back to uh, um, John's gospel a little later and look at the other two musts. But here he's telling this man who eventually does receive Christ. And uh, we read We'll read about him in, um, a, little, a little bit later. Let's go to our second one this morning. And let's go back to um, 2 Corinthians 5. And we read, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Having, behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. What happened to us, our job now is, and now, especially now, um, to be in the process of explaining the born-again experience to people, even if they're religious. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, if that's our job, that makes us an ambassador, an ambassador for Christ. 
as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God in an administrative position as an ambassador. Well, what is an ambassador? In a political sense, an ambassador is an official envoy, especially a high-ranking diplomat who represents the state and is usually accredited to another sovereign state or to an international organization as the resident representative of their own government or sovereign appointment for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. So every country has their ambassadors that are represented around the world. Now before I talk about Christians' responsibility and ambassadors, I'm going to get a little sidetracked this this morning and um, um, talk about and look at ambassadors that are being called out of Ukraine and Russia. And this has been ongoing breaking news all this week. I'm going to quote something from Gary Kaw. Gary's a good friend. I've known him since he wrote the book in 1991, En Route to Global Occupation. And this letter is dated February 18th, uh, 22. So I'm simply quoting Gary. uh, And the war has not yet broken out as of this writing. As of today, it appears likely that Russia will invade Ukraine. In my opinion, the West is provoking Putin into taking action. Our intelligence agency know which buttons to push in order to get Putin to react. They have been pushing all of them. Talk of making Ukraine a NATO member uh, may be the final straw. His comparison. Now just imagine Russia announcing that Canada is joining a Russian alliance against the United States. How would the United States respond? Yet the U.S. and some of its NATO allies have placed Russia in a similar position, knowing full well that the Russian doctrine ever since Hitler's Nazi invasion, which killed millions of of Russian people, have been to keep a line of defense or a buffer zone of friendly countries around its perimeter so that Russia can never again be overtaken. Remember that Germany took Russia during World War II. Just as a side note there, they probably would have won. Russia probably would have won. But Hitler was using the railroad cars that would have taken troops to the front, and he was using them to take Jews to concentration camps. Just as a side note, Peter and Eva Putney, the guy who did the announcements this morning, actually had a Calvary Chapel in Auschwitz. Used to baptize people right across the street from Auschwitz. And they were there seeking to plant a Calvary Chapel. But believe me, there is no more Catholic state in the world than Poland. (laughs) And it's tough, tough plowing. By pulling Ukraine towards NATO, the Biden administration, I believe is intentionally drawing Russia into a conflict. Uh, We must pray that Putin doesn't take the bait and that he will back down. But the consensus is Putin will never allow Ukraine to become a military ally of the West and NATO. Well, that's already too late. So why are the U.S. and NATO provoking this war at this time? Answer, the globalists have lost momentum as people are now quickly waking up to the fraudulent COVID pandemic and their broader global reset agenda. In short, Globalists need another crisis, a crisis they can use to precipitate their next false narrative, a crisis they desperately need in order to force us into their plan, one world government financial system. Just a side note here. We've been talking, as long as we've been here for over 40 years, we know that this is going to happen. We know there's going to be a one world government. 
We know that there's going to be one world currency. We just didn't know how it was going to unfold. My friends, as I stand here this morning, it's unfolding right before our very eyes right now. And I got some things that we just found out when we were in prayer room how quickly this is actually escalating. If Russia moves against Ukraine, the West will impose strict sanctions against Russia. That's already happened since he wrote this. This could lead to a cyber attack against U.S. institutions, vital resources, either by Russia, possibly China. Another side note here, this week announced to the United States of America that if um, the United States gets involved in any way, shape, or form with China's intentions and its desires towards Taiwan, they will be at war. That happened this week. My personal opinion is I think it's all going to be happening at the same time. All right. Dwight, you keep getting sidetracked. Don't do that. Um, Possibly China or by our own intelligence agencies run by globalists who could conveniently blame such an attack on Russia. That could still happen. Such an attack would almost certainly trigger a financial collapse and lead to martial law. Um, They just declared, side note, yesterday, uh, they declared martial law in Kiev. That's yesterday. Here in the U.S., at that point, all bets are off. Anything could happen. Politically conservative, conservative Christians, Jews, and other patriots would be targeted, and a form of Marxist socialism would be imposed. Think it can't happen here? Look at Canada. Now is the time for all freedom-loving Americans to take a stand and make as much noise as possible. Most importantly, we need to also spend time on our knees, um, uh, repentantly crying out to our holy, merciful God to intervene on our behalf. Globalists understand that their evil agenda has been exposed and that many of them could go to jail for their fraudulent and treacherous acts, assuming there are a few non-corrupt judges and DAs left who will prosecute. To prevent this from happening, I believe they will pull out all the stops to push their agenda through and remain in power. Only divine intervention can stop these wicked forces. While I continue to hope and pray for the best, I'm, praying for the, I'm preparing for the worst. If you're not putting off, if you have been putting off uh, certain things that the Lord has put on your heart, I would interject here sharing with your loved ones and friends who don't know the Lord right now. Because like the woman at the well, they're thinking about it. And they're wondering about it. And you have the answers for it. I'll repeat this. If you've been putting off doing certain things that the Lord has put on your heart to do, Follow through with them now, all in capital letters. Don't put it off any longer. Whether they are spiritual, financial, or related to acquiring basic necessities, take care of important matters ASAP. Unless God intervenes, things could unravel quickly in the days ahead. Uh, as As we are his people, Let's be ready for whatever we must face. Remember, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. As such, let us be bold in our witness for him, knowing that he is with us even to the ends of the earth. Now, at this point, I'm going to hold up an article um, that has happened. The war has broken out um, since then. And what I'm holding up right now is uh, it's a, it's called Israel 365 News. And the headline reads, Will Israel be Putin's next target? Moscow tells Jerusalem, Golan Heights don't belong to you. And all of a sudden, we got Russia looking at Israel and saying that the Golan Heights overnight, just like that. That should blow your mind because all of a sudden we've been talking about we know this is eventually going to end up down there. As, as Russia 
pummels Ukraine in an invasion waged on Thursday. Moscow's deputy ambassador to the end, Dittmir Polanski, leveled the same type of statement at Israel as the Kremlin did towards Ukraine. We're concerned over Tel Aviv's announcement plans for expanding settlements activity occupied by the Golan Heights. Now, I've been on the Golan Heights many, 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 many times. And um, you can actually see Damascus 60 miles away on a clear day. And, um, of course, there's all kinds of settlements on there. Everybody knows it. And that's one of the things that this Hezbollah thing with uh, um, on the Lebanese border is, is all about. Um, they claim it contradicts the provision of the 1949 Geneva Convention. Russia doesn't recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights that are part of Syria, he tweeted. Plans for expanding settlements activity uh, in the occupied Golan Heights, which contradicts the provisions of, again, the 1949 Geneva Convention. Russia doesn't recognize Israel's sovereignty over Golan Heights as part as it is as part of Syria. Putin refuses to recognize republics uh, Donetsk and Luhansk as sovereign Ukraine like the Golan. Can you see the comparison he's making? Uh, these two breakaway countries, by the way, that's a done deal. Um, papers were written up by the Russian government, put on Putin's desk, now they're signed and now they're independent. And um, he's, he's drawing that comparison. Interesting, Polanski refused to refer to Israel's capital as Tel Aviv rather than Jerusalem. Russia has boasted Syria President Bashar Assad in Syria's, it's been 10 years now, 10 uh, decade long civil war. Many speculate that Russia's latest comments regarding Israel responds to Israel's foreign minister, Yair Lapid, who seems to side with the Washington enact sanctions against Russia. If Russia, whose troops are embedded throughout Syria, let me just stop and say, they're not only embedded, but Assad invited Putin to come down. They have their own airport. And one after one after one, everybody here know what a C-130 is? It's the largest cargo um, carrying airplane in the world. And they're landing one right after another. Full of what? Russian military equipment. And they're also given Iran permission to land at that airport. They also have a warm water naval port there, which Russia really wants. I'm almost through, hang in there with me. It could, uh, if, it, if Russia, whose troops are embedded throughout Syria, invades Israel. When I read this, it blew my mind. In the um, bordering Golan Heights, it could fulfill Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is being reported by a regular um, news agency, but this is outdated because this is, um, well, this is, this, what, what I have here has just been updated while we were sitting in the prayer room. This is a picture of a um, T-O-P-O-L, Topel M um, missile launcher truck driving west on a major. This is a nuclear weapon. Its warhead can carry an 800 megaton nuclear bomb. And they're being sighted and they're on the move right now. But as we speak, from the Epic Times, which is a reliable source that I can quote from the pulpit, Putin just ordered nuclear weapons on highest alert. And that's what's happening as I speak right now. That information just broke over in the break room. Well, all that to say this. This is now a matter of, everybody familiar with the term DEFCON and what level we're at? We're researching as we peak. I have people trying to fig- figure out 
what DEPCOM level we are at. So when Gary wrote the article on the 18th, nothing had happened yet. And how many days is it right now? The 26th, 27th? A week later. And now we're talking nuclear. And, um, and that could unfold quickly. And you're probably thinking, Dwight, that's quite a sidetrack from being an ambassador for Christ. <laughs> no. In a real sense, I feel a real obligation not to just bring you news, but to bring you news from a biblical perspective. What is a biblical perspective? What happens when you start calling your ambassadors home? Why do you call them home? Because the next thing that happens after you call your ambassadors home is what? War. I think the Lord, I think it's so close for the rapture of the church. Why? Because the next thing that happens after the rapture of the church is God making war in the seven-year tribulation period. So you're an ambassador for Christ, and it looks like it's pretty late. And all the more reason, that's the reason, you know, for a buck and a half, my friends, you're going to give one of the most powerful gospel presentations you, you can ever get. If you didn't, weren't here Wednesday night, we played most of it. And uh, the reason I did that is I had three different families approach me last Sunday morning and say, you're talking about, you know, this God of wonders, can you, where can we get some? And so I thought, if three people ask me, there's probably a whole lot more that want them. So I called up T.A. McMahon and said, T.A., T.A., I, I need 500, at least for now, hopefully more later. He says, I'll take care of it personally. So let's get back to our study. I would encourage you to do your own homework. Um, as we watch these events unfold with Russia, now threatening Israel, I believe that it is very, very late. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and look at verses 18 through 20, which we've just, um, we've just read those as ambassadors. Let's go to the number, our third and final one that I mentioned this morning, and that is Jesus on the cross. This is one of my favorite verses. And you're thinking, Dwight, you say that about every other verse you ever read. But this really is one of my favorite verses. Matter of fact, two of them, verse 17 and 21. And we sang the song Justified this morning. This is where the song comes from. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, let's go back to the John 3 and the second must. Remember I told you the three musts in John chapter 3? Let's look at the second one. John 3 as Jesus is witnessing to Nicodemus about being born again, the Lord is trying to explain something that can only be understood if you are born again. If you're not born again, it makes no sense. And he says, Nicodemus says, how, how can I be born again? I'm an old man. Do I go in my mother's womb and come out? What in the world are you talking about? And the Lord says, well, Nick, well, I don't know if I've called Nick or not, but he says, you know, it's sort of like the wind blowing through the trees. You see the effect that it has on the trees because the leaves blow, but you don't see the wind. And he says, so it is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It will have an effect in your life, but you don't see it. The Holy Spirit, he said to the disciples, is with you, but he's going to be in you. And Nicodemus wasn't grasping this, but yet the Lord is still explaining it to him anyway. And then he gets down to verse 14. And he uses an Old Testament picture of what must happen before Jesus can send the Holy Spirit back. So if you look at verse 14, we'll look at the second must in John 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man 
be lifted up. An Old Testament picture of what is going to happen with Jesus on the cross. And it's the Lord himself who points us back to Moses. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 21. It's on page 153. In the book of Numbers, in verse 4, they're sojourning from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul is sick and tired of this worthless bread. They had manna in the morning, manna in the evening, and manna at supper time. It was manna all day long. And they were tired of it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. People came to their senses. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Moses, will you pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us? So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent. Now a serpent, of course, is symbolic of Satan and sin. So what we have here is a picture of this fiery serpent representing sin. And set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall be alive. In other words, for fiery serpent is a bronze serpent, which is always a symbol of judgment in the Bible. Whenever you hear bronze, here the word is fiery. So picture your mind's eye, sin, being placed on a pole in the form of a fiery serpent. And then the Lord told Moses that it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, will live. So Moses made a, here it is, a bronze serpent, and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Well, what happens if you say to yourself, that's crazy. How, I'm, I've been bitten here, I'm dying. And what good it would it do if I go and look at this bronze serpent? That's crazy, I'm out of here. And uh, other people are thinking, what do we got to lose? You know, I'll I'll go up there by faith. If that's what we're told to do, then that is what um, we will do. And so what we have a picture that Jesus himself refers to. He's trying to explain being born again to Nicodemus. He says, but this is what's going to have to happen. I have to become sin. Just like the serpent was sin and was put up on a pole and it was judged. And what happens when we talk about Jesus being on the cross, he became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin. And he uses this Old Testament picture. Again, every chance I get, my friends, is make the connection that the Bible was one-third Bible prophecy. And here is an example of the Old Testament coming together and fitting with the new. And the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. How do we have our faith increased? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. And when you can see the Lord himself directing us to it, connect the dots, it will increase your faith. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 27. Nobody really knows what Jesus went through on this day. I can't imagine just my sins alone much less the 8 billion people that are alive today, much less all the people who ever lived. Him being aware, being God, there's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows everything. So he knows the sin of every single person that's ever lived. And he's conscious of it. And he doesn't want to do it. In the garden, praying, he said, Father, if there's any other way, 
any other way that man can be forgiven, then that's what I'm voting for. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. You know what? There was no other way. He had to be perfect without sin. He who knew no sin. And so we read in verse 45 of 27, Jesus is now on the cross. And when the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that would be from 12 to 3, there was darkness over the land. Now, if you're um, especially Jewish, your mind would immediately go back to the ninth plague, where there was darkness for three days over Egypt before the Passover lamb was offered. So we find on the sixth hour until the ninth, from 12 to 3, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lami sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the exact words from Psalm 22, again connecting the dots, that David wrote, and that's how Psalm 22 begins. I think that this darkness at the cross was the darkness of Psalm of loneliness. The just died for the unjust. The innocent lamb of God died for guilty sinners. In the book of Exodus, there was a great darkness. The ninth plague that God sent to Egypt was three days of darkness. A darkness so thick it could be felt. There was darkness over Egypt before that final judgment of the Passover and the death of the firstborn. Behold the Lord Jesus Christ in three hours of darkness. I wonder if God was not saying that his, that this was an hour of solemn judgment. Now is the judgment of this world, said Jesus. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Our Lord's death on the cross was very solemn, more than I can put into words, serious, holy event, the darkness of loneliness, the lamb dying for his sins. Let me just try to put it in some perspective here. I can somewhat my mind grasp living forever and ever and ever, but I can't grasp with my finite mind always being. And that there's never a beginning point. It's just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed. And they always will exist. So what, when we read here, the point is there was never, ever a time of separation from the Father. They had always been one. That's what the Trinity is. Um, one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Never separated. So can you imagine not only being separated from their Father, which had never happened, but have the normity of the sins of every person who ever lived, making it possible. Let me get sidetracked here with a little bit about the false doctrine, um, universalism, which, by the way, the Pope holds to and believes in, and he's also a globalist. And that is, doesn't matter, everybody goes to heaven anyway. Well, that isn't true, because there are some people that didn't look at that serpent on the pole, and they didn't live. Only the ones that put their faith and looking up at the cross. Those are the ones who will be saved. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that whosoever, you are a whosoever, I am a whosoever, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. People like to skip over the part shall not perish, implying what? They will. So we read here, um, This darkness, the lamb dying for our sins. Why? Well, he was forsaken by the Father that we might never be forsaken of the Father. He went through darkness that we might have light. He went through isolation for us that that is what hell is. Eternal loneliness. I can't even begin 
to describe this. Now, I grew up with a bunch of rowdies, and our attitude of hell was, hey, man, when we get to hell, one big party, we'll be there and rock and rolling with uh, Janis Joplin and, and um, our old buddies and our old friends, one great big party. Well, I'm afraid that's not what God's word tells us. What it is, is beyond description. Eternal loneliness, eternal isolation. There is no friendships in heaven, in hell. There is no fellowship in the darkness of hell. We sense a great mystery here, the darkness around the cross, and a greater mystery, the loneliness of the cross. Our good friend Bruce Carroll wrote about this verse. He calls it the great exchange. We took, Jesus took our sins, and he gave us his righteousness causing us to be justified. And God looks at me and he looks at you as though you've never sinned once in your life. But that was all taken care of and placed on a cross in Jesus. And um, sometimes it's necessary, James says, save some using fire so they don't go to hell. What does that mean? It means scare the hell out of them. Saying, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. One of the worst things that I think a person can experience is being completely alone in darkness with your own thoughts, living with just yourself for all of eternity. That's hard to dwell on, but that's what the Bible teaches. Outer darkness is called. And you are there by yourself, all alone, and the last thing that's gonna be imprinted on your mind is at the great white throne judgment where the last thing you saw was God saying, is his name in the book? And anybody's name who was not found written in the book was cast into outer darkness forever and ever and ever. And let's wind this up this morning. And some of you are thinking, we know what that means, Dwight. Let's go back to John 3 and look at the third must and final must. John 3. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was the greatest man who ever lived. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Yeah, but Dwight, he was in the New Testament. No, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament. And so he's talking about us being the bridegroom of Christ. And then he refers to himself as being a friend of the bridegroom, but not the bridegroom himself. So we read in verse 29 of chapter three, for he who has the bride, that's us, is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, my joy is full. Now this is John the Baptist speaking. He said, I'm, I'm not the bridegroom. The church is the bridegroom. But I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And here's the third must in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the Christian life, my friends. As we think, see all these things happening and going on, let me encourage you to loosen up a little bit as you will. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, as a good soldier for Jesus Christ, don't get tangled up in the affairs of this world. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying be a responsible husband and wife and worker and being the best worker on your job site. That's not what I'm saying. But when it comes to identifying yourself, uh, well, what do you do? What's your job? Well, I'm an ambassador for Christ. What do you do? and just throw it right back at him and make him think about it, especially now. Do you realize how quickly this could escalate? We're, we're talking death count levels right now in the world. And um, I'm hearing reports from New York City that, well, last week before all this started getting heavier and heavier, 900 people a day are moving out of New York. And they're moving places like Florida or different places away from, their, their fear is getting hit 
um, by a nuclear weapon. I don't even believe I'm talking about this stuff. I certainly don't enjoy talking about this stuff. But you know what? It has to be said. Look, I haven't asked for an amen all day, but I'm going to ask for one now. It has to be said. But you better have your background information solid. And then challenge them. So I could be completely wrong, but prove me wrong. Because what's at stake here is your very soul. And you want to bet that this book isn't true? One third of the book is Bible prophecy. Every one of them has come to pass, and what's going to come to pass is Ezekiel 38 and 39, and now we're kind of seeing how that's going to unfold. And um, the Lord said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not this book. Tell them, do you really want to play Russian roulette with your soul for all eternity? You're not even going to give a, a look? And just challenge them on that level. My friends, we live in unprecedented times. Another good place for an amen. I mean, from last week till this week, from when I got up this morning till I got to church, that's how quickly it's unfolding. So this third must is in the writing of the gospel that we might believe in verse 16, whoever believes won't perish. Verse 18, whoever believes is not condemned. Verse 36, he who believes has everlasting life. And we ask ourselves, well, how is that possible? That's possible, and I'll read it one last time. It's possible because he, that would be God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close the word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We pray for all the events that are transpiring in the world today. You told us in these times to do one thing, and that is to watch and to pray and be ambassadors for you, that we are to um, do everything within our power, actually to persuade um, people to put their trust in you. I uh, thank you for the wonderful flock we, we have here at Calvary, for those that listen online. And Lord, we pray for wisdom right now and boldness and um, help us be instruments of your peace um, during these last days. We're grateful for our salvation and we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.